Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Study of X. I am your host, Tim. Uh, this is a podcast we're going to cover uh, the X-Men in chronological order, the Krakoa era. Uh, so, yep, joining me as always is Chris and Sergio. Did you say this is a podcast? This is a podcast. <laughs> Are you worried that people <laughs> might confuse us with something else? Yeah, you know... Um, it, it could happen. Look, it's been a real, it's been a long day. Just got off of work. <laughs> like, that's fair. I'm, I'm just joking. It's here. it's a good thing we're about to talk about a bunch of comic book bullshit. Yeah, we sure I'm, are. I'm glad we're not doing this again tomorrow. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. No. Just gonna nod and smile. Uh, but yeah. So this week we're covering uh, X Men issue number one and Marauders issue number one. Uh, the first two in our long line of ongoings that are starting around this time in 2019 uh but first we got we got mail uh we do have mail uh we have this from uh mino uh he addresses this as hello sonic the hedgehog fireblend coffee and john cena uh he couldn't find the third guy but he tried uh, basically, he sends us an email explaining what Genosha is, and more specifically, what the Genosian genocide is. Uh, so I'm going to summarize his summary, because it's pretty long. Uh, but basically, Genosha has been a thing since the Claremont days of the X-Men, uh, which, Tim, you can correct me on, but I believe that was the 80s or the 90s? Yes. Uh, the, this stuff where he talks about like Genosha being a... Uh, kind of republic that used mutants as like slave labor i have read i i never knew how it ended up where it did as like a mutant utopia i was like hmm, that's a pretty big jump but yeah uh go on yeah so like tim said originally genosha is an island off of the coast of africa near madagascar uh it is a technological advanced society that is prospering very well because it's using mutants as slaves and they do this by kind of genetically engineering the mutants and calling them mutates. Uh, they not only take the mutants that are there and do this, but they will capture mutants from around the world in order to do this. So obviously you've got a bunch of stories there about how X-Men are captured and they got to go save them. Uh, but long story short, uh, eventually at some point the United Nations just kind of gave Magneto Genosha they just sort of shoved a bunch of papers at him and was like, here you go, you take care of it. Uh, and somehow, over time, Magneto was able to take Genosha and make it into a mutant paradise instead of this awful hell world that had been created. And this kind of leads into the Genosian genocide, which is a Grant Morrison run of the X-Men uh, that the arc is called E is for Extinction. Uh, basically, in this run... Uh, we have Xavier learning that mutants are doing really, really well, uh, but that there's a really powerful mutant that he senses kind of off somewhere on an island, and he sends Cyclops and Wolverine to go investigate. And this is where we get into some really weird comic book stuff that I'm sure Sergio is going to love. Uh, but there they find Cassandra Nova. She is Charles Xavier's psychic evil self from in the womb and there's this whole backstory about how when she first manifested in the womb you have a baby charles xavier killing her in the womb kind of like moira when she looks very serious 
but instead it's baby on baby baby violence. I, I understood some of those words. Yeah. Yes. Um... Uh, so basically, she is able to control these new sentinels that can adapt to any environment, and she sends them to go kill everything on Genosha, and they basically do. They kill 16 million mutants and are barely able to be destroyed, essentially. And that's how the Genosian genocide happened, because uh, Charles Xavier's weird psychic anti-self decided to get mad. I hate it when that happens. I know. Yep. It's just another Tuesday, really. Uh-huh. Well, hopefully that won't be the fate, fate of uh, Krakowa here. Hopefully not, unless Xavier has another evil psychic twin that we just don't know about yet, which is always a possibility. Yep, that... Yep. I think it's just <laughs> him. I think Xavier just might be the evil psychic twin. Nah, are you kidding? The guy who made the X-Men? No way. Yeah, he's he's on the level. Uh, Well, with that, do we want to get into it? Sure. Yeah, we can jump into the more sane world of the X-Men and not the insane world of whatever Grant Morrison was doing. I, I'm not so sure, uh, but uh, yeah. About the, what, the sane part? Yes. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's a lot going on. I've read ahead <laughs> a little because we're doing some recordings in advance. So uh, my head is like crammed with weird directions this setting is being spun off into. And it's it's fun time ahead. Yeah. yeah, and it, does, they, it doesn't help that all of these number ones are like 40 pages in length, so there's been a lot of reading. Yes. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we are we are going in very different directions in some of these, so let's, let's get into it a bit with X-Men. All right, well, with X-Men number one, Pax Krakoa, we are still here with our good friend Jonathan Hickman as he is writing this issue. Uh, this was originally released in October of 2019. And it opens up with a look at the past, as we see when Xavier first gives Cyclops his red glasses that allows him to see the world again without shooting lasers out of his eyes and killing everybody. Yeah, he's hesitant to open his eyes, uh, probably because he doesn't know that glasses will work. We also see in the last panel, I think that's his like cool visor, the one he uses when he's um, on, on, an op on an operation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it looks like it's the prototype of it that Xavier is building. So, right. But this gives us a, a really nice first look at what this issue is really going to be about, which is Cyclops and his family. And turning the page, uh, we have a data page here kind of giving a brief description of what the comic is going to be talking about, as well as every single character that's going to be involved. Uh, we're going to be seeing this a lot in all of the issues now. It wasn't really a thing in House of po House and Powers, uh, but now it's going to be extremely common. Yeah, it, it's the recap page. They do these in comics a lot. Uh, I wouldn't really consider this part of like the data pages or anything. It's just kind of, here's what happened last time, and here's all the characters that will be important in this issue, which is pretty handy if you don't know who someone is, I guess. Yeah, I, I for one appreciate these pages. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is nice to be able to see the names and at least be able to reference them, too. Yeah, it's 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 pretty much there is just it, it's the thing in when you're watching a TV show and they do the last time on whatever episode. Yeah. So so here's a question. How usual is it for 
because I know nothing about comics. How shall is it for um, runs to be intertwined like this? Like at the very last page of this issue, we're getting the order, which is the same one that we're using for these podcast episodes. Um, how common is it to to have several of these intertwined in this way? So it's not unheard of. Um, Hickman specifically had his Avengers and New Avengers run that he was doing at the same times intertwine. Uh, rarely is it done with multiple authors like this, and rarely is it done on this scale. This mm. is this is pretty new, to be fair. Has it been adapted mm -hmm. since by other authors? Um, Did you know? I I haven't seen anything else kind of happen with it in Marvel. Mm. Uh, I don't know if it's happening somewhere else. You only got really DC. I don't really keep up with them too much. Right. Uh, I would. I don't think so. I, this this is pretty ambitious. Yeah, yeah. I do wonder about the planning that went into this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I would love to be in some of those meetings too, where they're trying to figure all of this out and kind of lay out the groundwork. Yeah, so I, I know initially the whole thing they were doing here was, I think Hickman was kind of the overseer of the whole thing. Like, I think he was the one that was more or less giving like the broad strokes of what direction they were going in. But for the most part, I think everyone's uh, telling their own story, even if they are like happening at the same time. Yeah, I mean, you gotta have someone keeping track of things and like giving the thumbs up to the bigger pitches. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And honestly, I think they do a really good job with this because of how big it is, too. Uh, even on smaller scale projects, sometimes this doesn't even work, but considering we're going to be talking about, what, six different comics and stories with six different writers, uh, it's really concise and well put together. Yeah, yeah, you could definitely excuse um, a plot hole here and there, or some inconsistency, especially when talking about separate authors working concurrently on a tight schedule, because I guess these are releasing in an intertwined manner it's not like you're releasing one run and then the other and that makes things even more complex mm -hmm. yeah so i i think more or less like as an individual book you're releasing this monthly uh but yeah like because you have all of these kind of coming out at the same time you're having a lot of them coming out the same day and it's yeah it's it's a lot there's a lot going into it Yes, and we will see uh, how that might be a bit of an issue once we get later on, especially once these comics start coming out during the pandemic in 2020, mm. uh, as a lot of them were delayed or artists or writers couldn't work on them. So you're going to see some bigger time gaps as we get farther in. All right. Yeah. But Hopping back into the story, uh, we are now in the present, uh, where Storm and Cyclops are breaking into the last Orcus stronghold on Earth. And they're currently just ripping through all of the lackeys and goons that are running around this place. Yeah, it's, it's been a, a long journey. Um, you know, I, I guess this is a big accomplishment. We've witnessed the eternal battle between the X-Men and, and Orkis, and it's finally it's finally happened. They're finally winning. Yeah, I, I can't believe it. We're we're at the end of this. It, it is weird, uh how final this battle seems, but also <laughs> I, I, I think them specifying last Orcus stronghold on earth is important. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, it's still yeah, a bit silly. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, that, that space station around the sun is not going away. Yeah, um, it still feels like it was only last episode that I said that the Orcus um, 
battle would be probably the dominant thread uh, for going forward. Yeah, and then here they are mopping up some remnants. Here we are, yeah, at the very end of the battle. Yeah, uh, Storm has an interesting note here about suicide bombs. Yeah, I was going to comment on that. She didn't have to go that hard all of a sudden. Uh, she basically says uh, suicide bombs and serving the greater good are always the last refuge of a conquered people. And I'm like, hey, Storm, you got to chill. That's, uh, that's a bit rough. Yeah, I mean, t turn down the colonialism a little bit there. Just a, like a tiny bit. That would be really good. You're you're destroying these people. You don't got to be like that. Uh, you know, she's sleep deprived. Uh, That's true. You know, you, you can't turn down the colonialism when you're tired. Sometimes yeah. it just leaks out. They just want to nap. So, but uh, can't nap while you're trying to destroy the people who are trying to kill you. And uh, as they are talking throughout all of this, they finally get to a massive group of Orcus soldiers, and they found the heart of the facility, which is where our favorite dramatic friend Magneto makes his appearance as he casually rips open the ceiling as he and his daughter Polaris descend into this area to make their way to the ground. Oh boy, and dramatic it is. Uh, he, he wants Polaris to clear the floor. So he has a clean spot to land in. Mm -hmm. He wants no rubble and certainly no rabble beneath his feet when he lands. And she just casually just kind of sweeps away these two, three dozen soldiers. This is Polaris' first appearance in, in the Krakoan era, right? She showed up very briefly, I believe, in... House of X number six. Hmm. Uh, she and her father were talking right before they brought back the X Men after they died. But oh, she's I been see. very, very background. So this is her first really big moment of actually doing something. Yeah. So as, as a character, I know nothing about. Uh, would you care to introduce her to me? Uh, yeah, I only know a little bit about her. Uh, she is Magneto's daughter. Uh, she has the same power set that he does. Uh, in which she can control magnetism and metal, I believe. Uh, I don't know much outside of that. Uh, Tim, I don't know about you. Yeah, she's usually in a, her a heroic role. I think she's been a villain maybe once or twice, but while she was possessed. Uh, she's dated Havoc for a long while, who's Scott Summers' brother. Um, and yeah, she's been kind of on rocky relationship with her father from time to time just because she doesn't really support his whole uh villain thing but yeah she's been a member of the x-men she's been a member of x-factor so she's she's been around for a bit mm -hmm. all right mm -hmm. same exact power set then pretty much i i don't know if it's any different but yeah it was always kind of odd having her and quicksilver and scarlet witch exist uh, as all children of Magneto, because they kind of felt separate from each other. Hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. But but it's okay; those two have been retconned now. Uh, yeah. So, but she is still the actual biological daughter of Magneto. So, who's her mother? You know, that is a good question. Let's uh, let's let's hit on the let's hit Google real quick. Someone named Susanna. I. Sure. Don't know who this is. All right. She had an affair with mutant terrorist Magneto, which resulted in the birth of Lorna. You know, as one does, as one does. She dead? I don't. I don't know. Okay. 
I, I got nothing. This is yeah, she's deceased. Uh this is she seems like kind of a bit character. Mm-hmm. They they needed a mother for her and there she was. Yeah. Alright, don't think about it then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, don't think about it. The only important thing is that her dad is Magneto. Sure. So and she's you know, she's been around. She's pretty strong in her own right. She's just not as strong as Magneto. Yeah. So okay. and speaking of Magneto uh, shout outs to his white costume. I really love it. I, I do like his original kind of magenta costume, but his white costume looks so good. And it really pops in all of these panels that they have. Just if he stayed in that costume for the entire rest of however long he exists, I will be so okay with it. Yeah, I agree. It's very good. Yeah, a, a lot of these costumes here are pretty good. I like this look kind of quite a bit, but... Yeah, let's get on a little bit a bit. Let's uh let's talk about the Orcus redundancies. Yes. So as they are making their way into the center of this Orcus stronghold, we see a bunch of scientists that are still there in the heart of it. Uh, we are introduced to a doctor here and his fellow scientists as they are trying to make sure that all of the information that is stored here was able to be sent to the base up in space. So everything will still be saved because the savage mutants are here to destroy it. They they turn themselves into gorillas. They they turn themselves into gorillas. Yeah. Which strikes me as a very bad strategy. Yeah. It, they kind of sell this as a pleasant. trump card. But I don't think it is it is at all. Yeah. Also, Magneto is stoked for this. Yes, they essentially all of the mutants make their way through and they get uh, uh, jumped by a bunch of doctors that are now apes. And Magneto just gets a nice panel of him grinning, saying he'll handle this. Uh, also, I really like this line from Cyclops. All these apes have PhDs. Uh, I don't It's good. It's a funny bit. Yeah, but I feel it's, like it's it, good bit. any one of these four could have taken those gorillas. No problem. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, yeah. Like I, I don't know um, what kind of mutants they were expecting that would be handled by four gorillas. Yeah, mm-hmm. just, a, just a bunch of gorillas. Yep. That no, like a uh, bunch of Orkis operatives couldn't handle. Mm-hmm. And dozens of them, including some in like very high-powered armor suits. Uh-huh. Well. So, I mean, hey, last stand, so do what you got to do, I suppose. Yeah. Uh but as Magneto is going to easily handle all of those apes, uh, we get deep inside of the hub here where Polaris, Storm, and Cyclops find a bunch of stasis capsules where when they open them, they find they are full of mutant children, essentially, that have been held captive here by Orcus, uh, including one individual that is not a mutant but seems to be a post-human. Uh-huh. This is a lot of mutants that were trapped here yeah i think they mention at least over a dozen but it looks like much more than that at least two dozen maybe more children have been kept here and yeah. who knows what's been going on with them yeah this is pretty uh i, I think this attack on orcus is pretty justified yeah <laughs> yeah and and i can understand storm's kind of aggressiveness with it even though her her colonialism quotes from earlier are still really rough, I would understand being upset if a bunch of mutant children were being kept here. I would be upset too. 
Oh yeah, I don't I don't think they come across as the bad guys here. They're uh rescuing a bunch of people being held in stasis tubes. Like that's that's nothing good happens in a stasis tube. Mm-hmm. No, not at all. So is this posthuman recognizable or is are they a new character entirely? This seems like a new character. Okay. Yes, she is new. Um, she basically is released from this containment and she tries to use her powers on Storm and Polaris, but it clearly doesn't work. And she gives a bunch of cryptic lines that don't really make much sense and then teleports out. Storm uh-huh. asks if she's from the vault. Um, I think this might be an older X-Men storyline. I don't really know what this is. I did look it up because I was curious. Uh, this is in reference to the children of the vault. Uh, which was a storyline created a couple of years before this, uh, where there was a mutant who kind of commandeered a boat and was able to raise a bunch of people on it in hyper-accelerated time and was able to give them 6,000 years worth of evolution and time in a very, very short span, essentially. And they called them the Children of the Vault because they eventually evolved into post-humans during that time. They hyperbolic time-chambered them. Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, 100%. Uh, and everybody from that vault, really bad and really powerful. They believe that they are the true inheritors of evolution and plan to kill everybody else. So just know that they're bad. Someone should tell them that's not how evolution works. But okay. Yeah. Um, I love this line. Uh, the post-human mentions there are wild gods loose in the world. And Magneto says, yeah, that's us. Yeah. Again, uh, flaunting as dramatic as he can be. Just walking back into the picture. Not even with a scratch on him from having dealt with the apes either. Yep. The the arrogance of this man is just impressive. I, It's, it's good stuff. <laughs> it, it's, it's palpable. And it's really good. So they debate going after this post-human child, but Cyclops says, no, we shouldn't. We have to get all of these children home, and we get a good shot of all of the mutant children that were kept in these stasis tubes. You have some normal ones, some that are bright gold, some that have, you know, octopus legs. One of them's on fire. Just normal mutant mutations. I like the real tall one. I also like the real tall one, and I hope that's his mutation, is just being very tall. So, but they are able to bring these children back to Krakoa, where they are immediately checked out by Dr. Reyes, uh, just to make sure that they're okay. And she even mentions that they have telepaths and empaths on hand, just in case these children need some help getting through the trauma of what they went through. Uh, and another point in Krakoa's favor of, I really want to live there, because, man, they bet they have some great free healthcare. They sure do. Um... I guess Dr. Reyes is a mutant being on Krakoa. I also don't know her. Yes, um, I know this character vaguely. I forgot what her power is, but she does have a power. Um, hold on, let me look it up. She's been around for a bit. She's been an X-Men before. Uh, let's see. She creates cytoplasmic biofields. Huh. She was also the villain in the New Mutants movie that nobody watched. I'm not really sure why, but uh, yeah. Tr- yeah, it, it, we don't talk about that movie. Yeah, tr- traditionally she's a hero, though. 
but yeah, so uh, looks pretty good for free healthcare. Storm is exhausted, but apparently not exhausted enough to help. And uh, yeah, we get some chanting for Magneto. Yeah, we get to see Magneto in all of his dramatic, wonderful glory once again as he returns to a gaggle of children just chanting his name and begging him to take these kids with them next time so they can help fight for the mutant cause. Yeah, I think that's cute. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's good when uh, all of your youth decide to be like, hey, that guy that wanted to kill all of humanity, that's the hero. Yeah, I think Magneto has really kind of slotted himself into this role. Uh, he's enjoying this quite a bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he's got, again, some really good lines here. Uh, there's a children, uh, th th a children. There's a child there uh, that says, uh, you know, why can't we fight with you? You know, we want to fight with you. And Magneto says, no, 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 I fight so you don't have to. And the kid asks, well, I'm not afraid to fight. I won't run. And Magneto says, you won't have to, for I am Magneto. Let man run from me. And then he dramatically puts on his helmet and walks away. It's it's just the most drama. It's it's great. He's great. I love him. Uh, I like this conversation between Cyclops and Polaris on the next page as well. Uh, there, there's kind of an interesting bit. I feel like it's kind of subtle where Cyclops invites him to or cyclops invites polaris to visit and i think the implication there is she's kind of worried about seeing alex because uh, that is her ex yeah the probably the one big negative from resurrection is all of your dead exes are back now and you will have to talk to them yep so, but like Tim said, Cyclops and Polaris kind of walk their way through the Krakoan woods here. And they have a nice conversation, you know, talking about how Cyclops was very, very close to giving up on the dream of his family living happily. And just letting the world kind of beat him down with all of the violence they committed against mutants. But because he believed in it, and because they worked towards it, finally they have paradise again. Yeah, I feel like on the surface here, just from what we can see, Cyclops kind of seems like a true believer as of right now. Yeah, he comes across as very zealous in this. Yeah, mm -hmm. like he's mm -hmm. he likes being here where Polaris seems to be a bit unsure of this whole thing. Mm -hmm. I, I do really like the family drama aspect, and... Uh, now that you mentioned it, the resurrection drama is going is a prevalent theme across these issues that we're going to be discussing for the next couple of weeks, and I really enjoy mm -hmm. that stuff, like the character moments and uh, confrontations. It's all good stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I I'm gonna we'll talk about it later, but there the way that the different writers handle each of those coming back is also really interesting because you do have some like Cyclops here who is just very much believing in the cause, sees it as a very positive thing. But then you're gonna get some mutants who are really unsure about it, some who really don't buy it, and you kind of get a very broad view of the different opinions about what's happening here with Krakoa. Right. So, but we've had our fill of mutants now, and we're going to head on back up to the Orcus Forge, still going around the Earth. And here we meet a new character uh, named Dr. Devo. He seems to be the one in charge of putting Orcus together. 
Uh, he says that he is the one that repurposed the forge into what it is now, as well as repurposing the Trask Sentinel program to working with Orcus. And yeah, they, he discusses... Oh, go ahead, Tim. Yeah, the, they had a data page, I think, back in House of X and Powers of X, and this was the person that was mentioned to be in charge of the whole Orcus thing. So, that yeah, that is correct. He's got some funky and glasses. Oh, yeah, they are very funky. I love the tubes. Yeah, he's got some tubes going to like a something on his back. They're, they've got really odd like spikes coming out of the corners of them. They're very extra. So, this but future fashion. Mm -hmm. This future fashion that he has going on here. Um, and uh, something here that I really like is Karima mentions that, you know, they have gotten all of these different groups to work with Orcus, including six members of Hydra, which are basically just Nazis. And Dr. Devo's like, well, sometimes we have to tolerate the lesser evils to make sure we survive. Yeah, this is, mm -hmm. again, very much some Operation Paperclip shit. I like Karima's disgust at the Hydra of people being here. Um, I think it kind of gives us a better idea of the numbers, too. Uh, you could probably map this out based on the percentage they gave us from a couple issues ago. I'm not going to go do that, but... Uh, I know there wasn't a big percentage of Hydra people. Apparently that equates to six. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm sure somebody has done the math out there, honestly. Uh, but I also like, as, you know, we get this brief introduction, we also get the twist on the phrase, just look at what they've done, which we yeah, got when... a lot of in House of X. Right, yeah. I think that was really good, too. They kind of turned that on the head because you get that line with just all these coffins of people that died when they invaded the space station. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which, again, makes what Sabretooth did not that bad. Uh, but, you know, don't have much of a say in that one. Sure. I actually think a surprisingly low amount of people died in that attack if this is the entirety of the casualties. Yeah, surprisingly yeah, looks like... less than what you would think. Although I would not be surprised if most of those were Wolverine. Yeah, no kidding. But yeah, this looks like a couple dozen. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So, but as Dr. Devo states, this is simply the price of conflict. And they knew it was going to happen one way or the other. So they have to do what they have to do. Uh, something, though, I also found interesting is Karima mentions that making the Orcus Forge was not a mutant deterrent, but a human deterrent. And I think they have a point there, because what they're trying to do is genocide against the mutant population. So obviously you're going to have Earth's heroes not be a fan of that. Yeah, for some of yeah, them. Yeah, and it, it makes sense. That makes it harder for humans to get up there, but not necessarily like mutants. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And putting the space station where it was, it was always going to eventually get to the mutants. Yeah. So we get that discussion. And once we've had a, our fill of the villains, we head back to our mutant friends. This time in the Summer's House, which is a beautiful mutant habitat right next to the blue side of the moon with a very, very nice view of the Earth. Yeah, so... Corsair here is uh, Cyclops' dad. Uh, he is a member of the Star Jammers. Uh, they are a group of space pirates. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. as, as one's uh, parents are. 
Yeah, I, I was not aware of um, Cyclops' parentage. Uh. Uh, to be fair, it's not typically brought up because uh, his dad is usually gone. He's usually off in space doing pirate stuff. So Cyclops is almost always raised by Xavier in some fashion. Hmm. Yeah, his dad definitely takes a big backseat in a lot of these things. Is his dad an older character than Cyclops? Uh, he's not older than Cyclops, but he has been around for a little bit. He was He's another character that was introduced in the Claremont run. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but importantly, why he is here is because they're throwing a nice house party on the moon. Uh, with this house party, you have Cyclops, you have his father, Corsair, uh, as well as the rest of the Star Jammers. You have uh, Raza Longknife, uh, Cha'ad, Hepzibah. You also have Cyclops' brothers. You have Vulcan and Havoc. You have Wolverine, Jean, uh, Cyclops, and... Jean's daughter, Rachel. Uh, she's listed as Prestige here in the opening. And they also have their son, Cable, with them as they are barbecuing and just honestly having a great time. Uh, Chris, I, I feel like you kind of glossed over the big detail here, and that is that they are uh, they're on the moon. Yes, they are on the moon. Uh, as uh, Cyclops says, you know, they could grow a Krokoan habitat anywhere, so he figured, why settle? Why not just shoot for the stars, quite literally? Yeah, they got a fun view of the Earth from here. It's a, it's a cool spot. So, and we get a bit of a look at what life is going to, well, not kind of look like for every mutant, but we do have the first example of at least a habitat or someplace for people to live. And it sounds like Krokoa built this, so we could assume that Krokoa is also likely building other places to live back on the island. Yeah, this seems like a meld between organic stuff and like very modern looking architecture. Like some of this I don't buy being completely biological. So mm -hmm. I would be mm -hmm. interested if there's like a foundation they laid in terms of like structure and then they had Krakoa like inhabit the place and then provide it with life-sustaining you know, facilities or amenities mm -hmm. or if it's all crack on, which I, I don't think it is. Yeah. Like I don't know if I buy that this grill is crack Owen. Yeah. Me neither. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if some of this was already there, or at least they had to build a little bit of it. So Krakoa could you yeah. know, take seed and grow here. But yeah, I, I would agree with Sergio. I think it's like a mix. Uh, yeah, it definitely does look like a mix. I feel like it's very um, obvious how there's like a meld because you've got like very obviously branches and roots growing throughout. Uh, but there seems to be an underlying structure uh, behind all of that uh, plant stuff. Mm -hmm. A lot more hard edges than the soft kind of plant material that we've seen elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, Sergio, can you tell what Vulcan's powers are just by his wonderful fire puns? Um, no, no idea. Okay, okay, good. You know, we might find out soon. You know, something uh, something related to water, maybe? He wants to put out that fire? Uh, I don't know. I think uh, so. Why they put him on the grill, I'm not sure, but... I, eh. I, I think his mutant name is Iceman. Um, hmm. yeah, right, right. Yeah. 
Uh, uh, I love this interaction between Vulcan and Wolverine. Just by yes, the way, it, it's it, it's very fun. I feel like Vulcan went to the Magneto school of dramatic acting uh, because he every time he says something, it has to relate to fire. Not the best Almost. student, though. No, not the best student because his is a lot more clunky. Uh, but he's still being as dramatic as he can be. Yeah, yeah. he's just talking about the fire. Uh, Wolverine really just wants a steak rare. Uh, Vulcan's giving it to a medium rare. I think he's personally doing Wolverine a favor, but... Oof, oof, that was a controversial statement, my friend. No, me medium rare is a good way to eat a steak. No, it is, but, you know, some people might uh, kill you for that. Um, but also an interesting thing to note, uh, this is the first instance of Vulcan being back since he has died. Uh, up until this comic, he has been long dead. So he's one of the first mutants to come back through resurrection. Yeah. Well, good for him. Yeah, it seems like death treated him pretty well. Uh, we then get Cable and uh, one of the members of the Star Jammers talking about guns, where Cable asks if he can trade for his gun, but Gene says, you know, he's got to set the table first. Uh, note, note here about Cable, uh, this is a pretty recent change. Uh, this is a younger version of him than is typically around. Uh, the a, a couple of runs before this, like, I think, like, in, like, the last two... Uh, Kid Cable decided older Cable wasn't doing his job right, killed him, and took his place. Uh, so now we got Teenage Cable. Uh -huh. All right. Yeah, it's it's a lot when it comes to Cable. There's a lot of time travel stuff going on with him. So sometimes you have very old Cable with Cyclops and Jean, who is Cable's parents. And they are far younger than older Cable. Yeah, I've seen Dragon Ball City. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same thing, basically. So, but Cyclops and his brothers have a gift for their father. They give him a Krakoan gate, which he can plant into his starship. So if he ever does need to come back and see his family, he can do so just by walking through the gate, no matter where he is. Yeah, I, I do like this aspect of exploiting the Krakoan capabilities for creating portals and placing, it in, placing them in interesting spots, like the mm -hmm. inside of a ship or the moon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's for, like, for interesting uh, opportunities. Yeah, like, it, it makes his dad, who is pretty hard to get in touch with, like, just kind of a portal walk away. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we move on to our next episode, we'll see that that's almost immediately taken advantage of in another story. Um, but after they give him the gift, we do get some data pages now uh, about the summer house on the blue area of the moon. Uh, we get kind of a slice of what the place looks like. It is also a launching point for any first strike capabilities that are needed for any space incursions. So there are spaceships there. There's the gate there as well. Uh, there's a pool underground. That sounds really nice. Uh, but it's all around a pretty nice house. It is. Yeah. We, we also get kind of a uh, data page here about the room breakdown. Um Sergio, have you noticed anything interesting about this room breakdown? Huh. Um, is it the empty rooms? Is this uh, about the quiet council? 10, 10, 11, and 12, which is uh, Cyclops, Wolverine, and Jean's room specifically, uh, have connecting doors between them. 
Oh, I hadn't mm -hmm. noticed that. No. Yes, yeah, bit, it... very specifically, none of the other rooms do. Sure, I, th I think that's good for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it's, it's, always... it's a good way to solve that love triangle. Yes, they have been a love triangle for a very long time. Uh, usually it's just the two men between Jean. So having uh, Cyclops and Wolverine now kind of more connected in a way is a different take on it. But I'm also all here for it. It would yeah. also explain why Wolverine is at the Summers family party. Yeah, that does make sense. Yeah. So right after that, uh, we get Cyclops on uh, dish cleaning duty as he is cleaning the dishes with some sort of Krakoan goo gun that right. fires a weird sort of goo that eats all of the food on it uh, and evaporates into elemental gases. This is also just a great page. Uh, I I love his very matter-of-fact comic booky explanation only for his uh, Corsair just to be like, hey, that's that's gross. Look, I disagree. I would love a Krakoan goo gun. Yeah. Same. That would make washing the dishes so much easier. Yeah. So, so yeah, you get the goo on the plate and it eats all the bacteria and waste for you so you don't actually have to do dishes. Mm -hmm. Although I would like to see what the original was, because apparently this was a compromise between them and Krakoa. Oh yeah, Krakoa the... tried to fix plates. Yeah, it was it was giving them edible plates. <laughs> so, but I mean, if that's some of the basic things that Krakoa can do, I really want to see what else it can do just to make life easier. Because that sounds great. Yeah, um, I was asked last episode if I would move to Krakoa, and I think this settles it for me. I, I, it's a done deal. Yeah, I get to use the goo gun. Yeah, just yeah, perfect. That, no notes. Yeah, that that's all Sergio needs is hey, I don't have to do the dishes. Easy. It, it's a good bit of world building. Uh, it's a pretty good moment here from Cy Cyclops and Corsair as well. Uh, also just kind of I think reframes that Cyclops is very much a true believer in all this. Mm hmm. Uh, Cyclops' father essentially mentions that he's very worried about his sons because he knows how people treat mutants, but Cyclops reassures him that, you know, he really believes in this. He really thinks that this is finally what he and his family deserve here, so he's going to do what he can to keep it and make sure he lives life while it happens. Yeah, I, I do really appreciate this as a... and the whole family meetup as a bit of levity and some good uh you know character building i i really like this uh this yeah I, I, I think this comes across very well especially after house of x powers of x which was a lot of kind of bigger picture type stuff to kind of have this more kind of grounded down to earth issue where you have these individual character moments i think was pretty needed yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I would agree with that, too. You know, we get some of the world building. We get more of the characters just, you know, enjoying what this is. And it's it is. It's honestly kind of nice as much as I did really like the big picture that uh, Hickman was doing. Getting more of the personal kind of in-depth stuff is just a nice change of pace. Yeah, it's just good slice of life stuff. Mm -hmm. With the goo gun. Mm hmm. Uh, so after we get that really touching moment, uh, we are back up in space uh, at the Orcus Forge as Dr. Devo comes to talk to Dr. Gregor as she was not at her husband's funeral. 
despite the fact that there was not much of her husband left to bury, as he was the one that uh, blew himself up to stop the X-Men. And it's here also that we learn that Dr. Devo was born blind, uh, but thanks to science, he is able to see in all sorts of ways, infrared, ultraviolet, and so on, which explains the weird goggles, uh, but doesn't explain the design. Uh, however, as this is happening, uh, Dr. Rigger is working on some sort of pinkish crystal, and she says, essentially, that there was no reason to mourn her husband because she knows of a way to bring him back. And that is where this issue is going to end on a cliffhanger as she's holding this crystal in front of her. Uh, yeah. I will say, I think the uh, the glasses aspect of it, I I feel of how the issue was starting off, that's a pretty interesting parallel to Cyclops. Uh, I'm not really <laughs> sure why we're drawing parallels between Devo and Cyclops, but that does appear to be the intention here. Interesting. I didn't think about it that way, but that is a good point that we do now have two characters in here with very different directions, but both have the same thing with their glasses. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I, I also think with Gregor, um, I, I love that this is the cliffhanger is I know how to bring him back. And I, I think it really kind of shows how common it already feels for the mutant resurrection that it doesn't feel like a big deal in the, in the context of mutants coming back to life. But when she's talking about resurrecting a human, all of a sudden that's a cliffhanger. Yeah. And that, that does have weight. It's like, Oh no, what is she doing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because with mutants, you know, Hey, it's whatever. It also helps that her husband and herself are both the villains. But yeah, you, you have a good point that no, her saying that it's like, oh, okay, so what are, what is she going to do? What does she have planned with this crystal here? Yeah, like it, you you couldn't do that cliffhanger if you were talking about a mutant now. Mm -hmm. And uh, what about you, Sergio? What are your thoughts here? Um, Not many, truth, uh, truth be told. I really do like, and I was about to say, uh, every time we see the Archis Forge, uh, it's without the head uh, that we saw it, obviously, uh, during previous issues. And I really do like that uh, every time I get to see the Archis Forge, I remember the attack and, and the whole thing that happened there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I would agree with that, too. It's also a very striking image just right in front of the sun. It looks really good. It is. Yeah. And they use it twice here. So, yeah, good effect. And they knew it. All right. Any closing thoughts from you two on this issue of the X-Men before we jump on to our next one? Uh, it was a good one. I, I enjoyed it. I, I want to know what edible plates taste like. I also want to know what edible plates taste like and why it was so bad they had to move to the goo gun. Yeah, I, I, I'm very what? interested in crackling technology. It sounds wild. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I feel like you gotta have so much fun with it. So, But hopefully we'll see more of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, want to talk about pirates? I am so ready to talk about pirates. I, I have never been more talk? ready. All right. So, moving on, we have Marauders number one, I'm on a Boat. And this is our first one not written by Jonathan Hickman. Uh, this is written by Gary Duggan and was released in October of 2019. So we open up here in Central Park as Storm and Nightcrawler are explaining to some mutants what a Krakoan gate is and how they can go through it to get to mutant paradise. 
And with them there is uh, Catherine Pride, also known as Kitty, also known as Shadowcat, and a bunch of other names besides. And she is the last one to go through the gate. Or so she thinks, as she smacks face first into it and is completely unable to go through. Oh, she, yeah, that... she, she smacks it all right. Uh-huh. That looks um, like it hurt. Yeah. Uh, that That is a busted nose and a black eye. Yep. But that's okay, because it's going to lead into a very fun story. Uh, as we keep on going with uh, one of my favorite starter titles, which is Ahoy, Muties! as we get into Marauders. And we're opening up with a data page here that explains where Kitty went right after this incursion. Uh, she basically went to San Diego, stole a boat, and is now sailing to Krakoa. So is there a reason uh, that comes to mind as to why she couldn't make it through the portal? Or is this going to be a mystery going forward? Yeah, I, b I believe this is a mystery going forward uh, because that that points to she is not a mutant. Uh, she has very much been known as a mutant mm -hmm. for her entire she, run. She has been around for a very long time. She was not an original mutant, but she was in one of the first big waves of additional characters, I believe. Right. All right. So that's never been a question until no. now. Until now, where she can't go through the gate. All right. I'd love this uh, data page because it's really good at characterizing uh, Kitty. Mm -hmm. We get like yeah. a captain's log kind of thing. And uh, yeah, I think her personality comes across really well in these uh, lines. Even though they're not like long entries, um, they do a good job. Yeah, like day two, she makes a I'm the captain now joke, and that's the entire entry. And it's like, yeah, okay, I, I uh -huh. kind of get what your whole deal is. And then it's just like her getting bored and then realizing maybe I shouldn't be writing this down. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. But instead of getting rid of it, she puts it in a bottle because, I mean, obviously she's on a boat and throws it into the ocean. Um. Yep, and then it's retrieved by the Office of Naval Intelligence. Yeah, who's immediately like hmm leverage perhaps uh yeah i like how she makes a comment about not wanting her crimes written down and wanting to do away with the evidence and then accidentally this ends up in the hands of the office of naval intelligence uh i'm guessing this is the u.s it's a, it's not actually clear yeah, it does say that the recovered bottle is being sent to USA MRIID. Oh, okay, yeah. So I guess so that's fair. Yeah. yeah, that's probably them. Yeah, I, I think it's also funny that um, they're on their back foot so much that they have been reduced to like recovering flotsam from the island, uh, trying to gather as much information as possible. Yeah, they're just like, oh, here's a message in a bottle. It's maybe we can use this. Yeah, this mm -hmm. this shows they're not uh, in a good position right now. Yeah. yeah, like it's it's top secret eyes only, and it's just it's Kitty memeing for like a couple days. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's really good, and it also helps with the world building too. Yeah. Uh, so we do get uh, Kitty here on her boat with her dragon Lockheed uh, that Sergio mentioned a couple of episodes ago when he popped up. 
Uh, he is just, in fact, a dragon. He's just a small dragon that hangs out with her uh, and apparently likes to hunt seagulls. That's uh, that's adorable, by the way. Just I, I like that. Yeah. Um, and once Lockheed is back with the seagull, she figures Krakoa must be nearby and she's probably blind because it is, in fact, right in front of her and is very, very big. Yep, uh, but just towering in front of her. Mm-hmm. But we do get a very nice shot of some of the cliffs of Krakoa as she sails onto it and makes her way onto land where there's a couple of portals. And she runs into a mutant child who immediately makes fun of her because she is the mutant who can't go through the gates. So word has gotten around pretty quickly. Uh-huh. I really do like the colors in this. Um, like the previous pages with the Krakoan cliffsides and then... The previous one with her sailing around with the blues and the bright skies. It's really good looking. Mm -hmm. It's a very vibrant color palette and a very vibrant issue just all throughout it, too. It's very, very nice. Uh-huh. And meeting her there is Iceman. Uh, he greets her, sees that she still can't use the gates, even on this side of the gate, on Krakoa itself. But apparently the top men are on it as a... Kate says. And as they're talking, uh, Wolverine comes up and runs past her straight to the boat because he gave her a shopping list, mostly of a bunch of meat and a lot of booze. I love this. Yeah, it's it's good. It's real good. Um, I love that they'll FedEx the ribs. Yeah, I like mm -hmm. how in the first panel, he's like, uh, barely on the shore and then on the next one he's like halfway swimming yeah. to the boat just already back just carrying a keg on his shoulder it's, uh -huh. it's good stuff it's great um also I like that he requested pomade mm -hmm. but also to you know keep it quiet uh huh I, I do love the shopping list as a data page as well right mm -hmm. Uh, I also think, because she kind of mentions this and doesn't mention who gave her the idea, but I like the idea that Logan was the one that suggested try using the gates from the other side and see if that will work. Mm -hmm. Like, even though he is very much focused on this list, he is still trying to find a solution for her. Honestly, more than the top men seem to be doing. Yeah, and that is honestly kind of a theme with her, uh, since she has been around for a long time and was a member of the X-Men. She's made friends with a lot of people, and you're going to see a lot of people kind of come up to her and be like, oh, hey, how are you? How you doing? You know, she seems to be able to make friends pretty easily. Yeah, yeah this, this comes across as very genuine um, because of the, of the shopping list and the way um, Wolverine is talking to her. Mm-hmm. It does read as, uh, you know, just good old camaraderie. Right. Yeah. Like they, these characters have a lot of history and I think it's really showing through here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's something we're going to get more in this issue too, after these next couple of pages. But I do like how more lighthearted this issue is compared to the others we've read. The others have had their moments of levity, but here it really feels like, okay, you know, let's hang out. Let's just talk about stuff and do some things you know, no big important stuff going on. I, I really enjoy it. It almost kind of reminds me of a Saturday morning cartoon kind of a vibe. Sure. Yeah, I can see it. Uh, so something about 
uh, Kitty and Iceman here is uh, those two characters actually used to date for a while until Iceman realized he was gay. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, but they're still good. They're still hanging out, you know, having a good time. Iceman explains that Krakoa does have a flower to build homes if you need it. And apparently you can get food off of trees here, including one that kind of looks like a turkey leg. Yeah, you don't need a plate for that one. Yeah. Mm-mm. Uh, Kitty's not interested in this. Or I mean no. Kate, as Emma calls her. Yes, and she honestly does kind of look disgusted. And I would also be confused, too, if somebody picked off part of a tree and ate it like a turkey leg. I'd be a little concerned. Uh, but Iceman heads off through a portal that isn't seeing a lot of activity, in his words. And Kate is left alone for a moment as Emma Frost contacts her telepathically. And they have a bit of a back-and-forth conversation where... Uh, Emma has a proposition for Kate. Uh, she really needs somebody to help her with the Hellfire Trading Company and has offered Kate a place alongside her, kind of taking charge and being liberators for the mutants that live in countries or areas that did not accept Krakoa's amnesty deal. Uh, yeah, they... if you want to be liberators, maybe don't base your name on... Like trading companies, yeah, kind yeah. of a kind of a a bad precedent there with the name. Uh huh. So and but I think that was also in mind because Emma does specifically say shipping corporations were often ruthless slavers. Our organization will proudly defy that and be liberators instead. So it's kind of a play on it, but ugh, that's a rough one. So. Just some character stuff in here, too, that I think is pretty interesting. Uh, Emma asks her, or Emma ends up asking uh, Kate why she hasn't asked the rest of the X-Men to call her that, and she doesn't seem like... Kate doesn't seem confident that they will be able to switch that in their heads. Uh, Emma also mentions that she trusts Kate, and that is due to her being someone who's never once given someone an extra shot in the ribs because they deserve it. Uh, that might be important later. Uh, and Kate seems upset at this, thinking that Emma is calling her weak. Mm-hmm. We, we get a picture not only from earlier with Logan, but here that she's very dependable, very personable. You know, people trust her with a lot of things here. And she doesn't totally see that in herself, but clearly others do. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Emma in this issue. Looks like she's lost a lot of her luster from the runs that we've been reading so far. She comes across as a, an HR manager that's been calling nonstop trying to hire uh, Kate. Yeah, and I think the implication we kind of get like later in this issue is uh Kate was not her first choice either so she's really just trying to find someone to fill this spot and doesn't seem to be doing a great job at it yes it's actually the next page where uh Kate jokingly mentions that Aurora said no didn't she and yeah no it seems like she was not Emma's first pick but Storm did not want to be involved so but despite being an HR manager Emma does have a bit of a point uh, they show a couple of gates here, one of which is overrun with these mutant hunting 
animals. The other one, which is air quotes, not North Korea, and uh-huh. is instead uh, North Valnon, uh, with heavily anti-mutant forces around it. So, sure, I can believe that there are mutants out there that do need some way to get to Krakoa and can't use the gates. Yeah, this this does make sense. Um, the other... The, the last thing I do want to draw attention to, it does very much seem to heavily imply Emma is trying to get Kate to be the Red Queen. Yeah, 100%. Because she specifically says, you will ravish in red. So think about it. And so also of says, a... be a queen. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so not so heavily saying, hey, if you do this, you could be the Red Queen. And you could be on the council. And a whole lot of other stuff. Yeah, I didn't catch that at all. Yeah, it's it's very subtle if you're reading through it. I know I didn't the first time, but reading back, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, she did totally not subtly drop that. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, but it looks like that's not what Kate's after. She, she still really does kind of need to think about it. Uh, and we are back with our friend Iceman with his uh, wooden turkey leg as he walks through the portal and ends up somewhere in Russia. And he is immediately surrounded by these, they're not Russian forces, I believe they are a splinter group of Russian forces that uh, call out and say that mutants don't need to leave Russia. Mutants serve Russia or they die. And they immediately attack Iceman for daring to come through. Well, they're able to turn off his powers. Yeah. Yeah. They they have a Iron Man suit looking th- guy, and he has something that can turn off mutant powers. As Iceman is immediately depowered, and lucky for him, he was wearing flip flops and also some underwear. Still not a not a great costume for chilly uh, Russia. Probably not. I I think he might be. I I don't know if he feels cold the same way. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, but, I, yeah, he, probably he, not he might fun. just he might just be able to be like, oh, this is fine, this is my normal. Uh, but Iceman throws himself back through the portal, and Kate is there drinking bourbon and is pretty drunk by this point. And Iceman comes through and says, "I almost just died," and Kate's just having a laugh about it. I I, I like this exchange. It's small, but it's it's just it's fun. Yeah, he even lost a flip flop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Iceman suggests that they really should go through and deal with these Russians who are stopping people from going through the gate. And Kate's on board. She really wants to fight some aggro humans. And lucky for them, she has a boat. Iceman wants to go. And it looks like Storm is willing to come along too. Hopefully she's rested since the last issue. Yeah, hopefully she got a nap. Uh, I think this is technically considered helping. No, I guess it would be fighting in this case because they're definitely going into battle. Yeah, very true. And we're going to take a bit of a detour here as we go to Taipei in Taiwan. As uh, Mrs. Zhao holds a rally against mutants as she claims that her husband touched one of the gates and completely disappeared. And all the people around her are you know, very into this anti-mutant message that she's saying. But Bishop, who is a mutant himself, has come to talk to her about her husband because they have no record of her husband ever going through a gate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, um, she she has no interest in this conversation. Yeah. 
she she doesn't seem to have an interest in figuring out what happened to her husband. Or at least from the mutant prospect of it. Yeah, I've got to say, I don't know this bishop guy, but uh, his plan of walking up and just asking her to talk, not the best idea. Yeah, uh, he he gives up pretty quick, too. Like, uh -huh. it, this, is, this is two pages, and he's like, well, I'm standing down for the night. Yep. <laughs> yep, and he just is like, hey, Xavier, I'm out. Goodbye. Uh, but the, the one thing to know about Bishop is he is also from the future. Uh, he is a mutant. Looking it up here, because I, for some reason, don't know off the top of my head. Uh, but he was around in Days of Futures Past, uh, which is a very popular X-Men story. Uh, he is from there and was able to time travel back into this current time and able to try and fight for a future that isn't the one he's from. I don't... Was Bishop in that? I know he was in the movie. I could have sworn he was in it. Maybe I'm just thinking of the movie. Yeah, I think he might be introduced a little bit later. Hmm, okay. Then yeah, I might be thinking of the movie. Uh, yeah, because he's, he's definitely in there. But... Uh, yeah, something else I want to pick up that I kind of forgot to take note of, but, uh, Prestige, uh, Rachel Summers, who was the, uh, member of the Summers family with the Spikes, is also a child of Scott and Jean that's from the future, uh, just from a different timeline than Cable. Uh, so yeah, we got a lot of time travelers just hanging around. Yeah, runs in the family, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, back to Marauders, uh, Pyro's here. Yeah, Pyro's here, as uh, the rest of them are on a boat, and Pyro just so happened to be sleeping on the boat that he thought about stealing, but decided to take a nap instead. Uh, yeah, the Iceman points out this is the original Pyro. Um, I believe he's Australian. Um, they they introduced What gave you that idea? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it was the oi. Yeah, but he... He wakes up and says, oi. His first line in this comic is, oi. Uh -huh. um, but, uh, yeah, they there was a new Pyro um, that they introduced in a couple runs ago that dated Iceman briefly, actually. So, this is not that one. This is the Pyro from uh, Burning Moira Alive fame. Oh, mm -hmm. all right. Mm -hmm. And uh, just to reinforce it, Storm reminds him kill no man because he has now been drafted into their cause since he does also happen to be on the boat that they're on yeah so th this is another mutant that was dead before and he kind of points it out that oh he was resurrected was apparently one of the first uh was used as a guinea pig just to make sure the resurrection stuff worked mm -hmm. and well, he gets he to be an early answer. adopter that's just how it goes yeah i'm glad it worked out for him uh -huh. same <laughs> But uh, apparently, uh, this boat is very, very quick because they make it to Russia really fast. And we cut back there to where this Iron Man fella is standing in front of the Krakoan gates and Storm and Iceman come in and attack him. And he immediately depowers both of them. But thankfully, this was the plan as Kate is able to come in and use her powers to deactivate the Iron Man suit pretty much immediately. Yeah, I don't love this bit about them sailing to Russia uh, and then attacking them from behind. Like, did no one notice the boat coming in? It doesn't seem like a very 
technological stealth boat. Um, yeah, it's kind of just a normal everyday sailing boat. So it is kind of odd that nobody noticed. But you could also argue they were so focused on the gate, they didn't wouldn't think that people would come by boat. But, you know, that's just trying to make the story make sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it is very silly. I, it's almost cartoonish, uh, the idea of them sailing all the way to Russia uh, just to strike from behind. Yeah, they are... Uh... They're guarding this gate like it is the jail in a capture the flag game. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once they encounter actual resistance, they don't do very well. As we are going to get several pages here of Kate just absolutely decimating these forces. As she uses her mutant power of intangibility to move through them, move through their bullets. And when she needs to, make herself solid and just beat the shit out of them. Uh-huh. She uh, uh, merges a gun with two guys' legs. Yeah, yeah. Ow. Yeah, that one's rough. That uh-huh. one's really rough. It's it's just a big old assault rifle just merged in between these two guys' legs. So, and you can even see one of them too on the ground clutching his head. And yeah, no, I would imagine that would really hurt. Yeah. Uh, Kate is just seems almost bored of this fight it's really fun uh the tank rolls up she just doesn't even she's not even worried about it just phases through messes this dude up uh-huh i do like how one of them had a sword very conveniently uh so she gets a sword yeah mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. a very with a very like pirate looking pommel yes yeah. that is my favorite part is it's a very pirate looking sword yep and uh, the same pirate guy where she takes the sword and knocks him out, she just also gives him one good kick in the stomach for final measure. Yeah. Um, again, just kind of a callback to that Emma conversation where she mentions she doesn't normally kick someone in the ribs, even if they deserve it. <laughs> that is a good callback. I actually didn't think about that. Yeah, it, it feels like Kate is very deliberately trying to go against that image. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Especially because she does pause for a moment over this guy and then does it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pyro, uh, Pyro also gets to show off here. Yes, and he is extremely excited because, uh, as we can see from his powers, he can't generate flame, but if he has a flame, he can control it and enlarge it. And lucky for him, Lockheed is a fire-breathing dragon, and he is super psyched about that. So once the rest of the Russian forces are dealt with, thanks to Pyro, uh, Kate tells the rest of the mutants to head back through the portal, but they're not done with this fun little venture yet. They enjoy hanging out with Kate, or at the very least feel that if they arrived here on a boat with her, they should leave on a boat with her. Uh, But also, besides freeing the gates, they also freed a bunch of people and possibly mutants from the Russian forces here as they were almost sent to the gulag. And one of them is very conveniently filming all of this with their phone. And Kate is taking advantage of this moment where she's at the gate. She turns around and says, if you're a mutant and you can't get to Krakoa, then the marauders will bring you home. So, uh, I guess at this point we should talk about what the Marauders were before this. Um, the Marauders were a team of mutants working for Mr. Sinister. 
that went into the sewers where the Morlocks were living at the time of New York and uh, killed most of them and then did a bunch of evil stuff after that. Yeah, not the best name to invoke. And in the next panel, Storm mentions that as well because she knows the original Marauders team and she's not a fan. She's not a fan of that name. Yeah, Storm led the Morlocks for a little bit, was like the canon leader for a while. So yeah, she's she doesn't really love that team either. So, but it is what it is. Uh, Kate finishes her nice arts and crafts session and makes the Marauders flag for them and asks Storm that even though she does not like the name, if she would join her on this mission that she's about to embark on. Because as Kate says, she doesn't know really what she wants to do. She doesn't want to be on the island. It's unclear if that's because she can't go through the gates or for some other reason, but she'd rather be out here on the ocean. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this issue. I'd also be rather be on the ocean yeah yeah and storm is coming at it a bit differently she does feel that there are many people trapped in hostile territories and she doesn't feel like she could just turn her back on them so of course she's gonna help and as this comes through uh kate sends a message to emma who picks it up telepathically pretty quickly and kate agrees to both of her proposals uh, presumably meaning that Kate is soon to be the Red Queen of the Hellfire Trading Company, and whatever other deal she had mentioned to her. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, tells people to call her Kate as we close out the issue. I like this this panel with the four of them and the flag behind them. This is a, uh, this is a very fun team. Mm-hmm. Yep, I, we we have Storm, Kate, Iceman, and Pyro so far, and Lockheed. Can't forget about him. Uh, yeah, I, I think they all play off each other really well. The chemistry feels like it's definitely there. Um, yeah, like where X Men feels like a more slice of life issue, this feels very much like oh yeah, we're gonna get a team together and go on an adventure. And I don't know, that's fun. Yeah, it does a really it's good a, job of it. Yeah, I, I feel like this is a good introduction to a book, and it's. I feel like it's a good way to show the outside world of Krakoa while we're kind of seeing what's going on in the inside of some of the other books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm yeah. excited to continue reading this. Oh, uh, yeah. we get we get some Sinister Secrets. I forgot about these. Uh-huh. We do. We do get some Sinister Secrets at the end. Uh, we get about five of them. Uh, all of them are Marauders related, so they're not as general as the other ones. Uh, Tim, do you want to run these down? Uh... I, I did not actually make a note for all these, but let me let me see real quick. Uh, yeah, so uh, Sinister Secret number 11. Uh, I think this one's pretty much about Kate and yeah. what we already saw on this issue. They were the... She was not the first or the second choice, uh, but perhaps the third time's the charm. Uh, Sinister Secret number 12 here. I, I'm actually not sure what this uh, is referring to. It seems to be in reference to at least the Hellfire Trading Company, perhaps more of the Red King Queen side of it. Uh, it seems to be hinting something for that with the Krakoan medicine. It's not really clear what, uh, but I think it is pointing in that direction. Yeah, we, we hear one of the seas to be carefully navigated is deep in red. I Again, I almost wonder if that's referring to more Red Queen stuff, but 
Yeah, I don't that, know. that was my thought. Uh, rereading this now. Um, Sinister Secret number thirteen. Speaking of the black and white, not everyone got their invite. Quite a fox. Uh, I've never known how to pronounce that. I don't want to butcher it. I think uh, it's faux pas. Faux pas. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, there we go. We hope that's there's not a fight. I'm gonna guess that means uh, Sebastian's not really in the know here. Yeah, I would guess that as well. Or maybe there was somebody else that should have gotten an invite and didn't. Uh, I imagine we'll probably see as the future goes on. Uh, but yeah, there's something there. Yeah, as uh, far as I'm concerned, Sebastian should stay as far away as possible. Yes, yes. S- In the number- capitalistic ideals. Right. Secret number 14 seems to be talking about some weird people hanging out near the gates. Uh probably not good dudes judging by the wearing sheets comment uh sinister secret 15 uh just mentions another boat Mm -hmm. so just a bunch of teases about some stuff coming up uh we'll see if they pan out we'll see what happens to them but just some fun things to look forward to and just uh have a bit of a guess as to what they are yeah Uh, yeah i'm excited about the future of this run Mm-hmm. Hope we get to see a, a ghost ship in the future. Oh, wouldn't that be cool? That'd be fun. So, but that is the wrap-up for Marauders number one and also X-Men number one. Uh, I gotta say, X-Men number one, like we said, was really fun. I do like the more slice-of-life look at it. Wasn't exciting in terms of action or anything, but it was just nice to see what that series at least might be going for. Uh, The same thing with Marauders. Uh, I do really like the more laid-back, fun feel of Marauders. I like how bright it is. I like the characters and the team. Uh, I like the characterization of everybody. Emma, I agree with Sergio, is just kind of in an odd spot on this one, where she says a lot and is doing a lot of sales pitch, but that's about it. And that's not really the same one we saw bust into a super-secret supervillain prison and bring Sabretooth out. Right. So, but uh, what about you two? What what are your thoughts on the wrap-up of both of these so far? Our first look into the post-House and Powers of X. Yeah, I, I liked it a lot. I do feel like these definitely focus more on character moments rather than the bigger picture stuff. Uh, X-Men definitely has some of that still with the post-human and the Orcus kind of plot lines. But for the most part, that also seemed to be kind of rooted in Slice of Life stuff. And I don't know, it's it's a fun direction. I think these characters work very well when they're bouncing off each other. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Um, these are two good issues. Uh, one of them more kind of like considered with a slow pace, uh, more about the family drama, and the other one a little bit more action-y. Um, but both do a really great job of like having characters bounce off of each other, which I thought... Um, maybe because of the like greater brush strokes that it was working at, um, House Effects and Powers Effects didn't do so much. Uh, also because of the pace that it had to move up. Uh, but now that we've got like these different runs and we get to focus on smaller teams, uh, I'm really interested in that sort of like interaction between uh, characters. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I'm I'm excited to see where this ends up going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, overall, now that I've read all all six of them, and I don't I don't want to spoil anything, but I do really appreciate the wild directions everything's going into. So, very excited for this new um, phase of the podcast. 
Yes, and speaking of those future ones, uh, for our next episode, we are going to be cover- covering Excalibur number one and New Mutants number one. Uh, also, two very different takes uh, than what we just read, uh, but still fun in their own right. Uh, so if you are reading with us, just know that's where we're going next. Uh, and then after that, it's going to be Fallen Angels number one and then X-Force number one. Yeah. So, yep, that's that's next up on the list here. Uh, but yeah, um, email us any questions at studyofx at gmail.com. Uh, or just, you know, comments, stuff we missed. Any any pastor on knowledge is always appreciated. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Please, please don't spoil us, though. That would be mean. Yes. Uh, I mean, Tim and I are the ones that are reading the emails, so we're, we're caught up. But don't spoil us. That would still be mean, because there's a lot of stuff I forgot in particular. Um, or also just send us jokes. I, I like a good joke. If you got a good, like, X-Men joke or an X-Men pun, I'm here for it. Uh, Also, if you would like to send us any questions, comments, or puns, uh, you can find us at Study of X on Twitter or Study of X on Tumblr. Uh, If you want to find me somewhere, uh, you can find me at Sonics on Twitter. It's S-A-W-N-E-E-K-S. And Sergio, where can they find you? Uh, People can find me at Fireblend, uh, F-I-R-E-B-L-E-N-D. Right. And uh, Tim, where can they not find you? Uh, they cannot find me at uh, at Jonathan Hickman. <laughs> I think Tim's <laughs> on, I think Tim's on international waters right now. I, yeah. You know what? I think he is. He might still be on the boat that Kate stole. It's unclear if it ever made it back to San Diego. So he might still be out there. It's possible. Mm-hmm. All right, but that sounds like we're going to be wrapping this up here. So thank you for hanging out with us and reading these comments. Uh, Like the rest of the guys here, I'm really excited to get into this new era of the X-Men and see what these other runs are going to bring to the table. It's a good time to be at the study. And lots of studying left to go. Later, mutants. Later, mutants. All right, bye. Bye.